When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, hello there and welcome back into the latest edition of the Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. I am the somewhat competent, a little more rested right now because it's early in the week before the March Madness resumes. Host of the show, TJ Reeves. Glad to be back with you, rolling up the sleeves on things having to do with sports media. We're going to have a very interesting, diverse show on a couple of different fronts. I've got a couple of media personalities that are going to be joining me on different fronts. In fact, straight ahead here in just a few moments, uh, you're going to hear from Carmen Vitale. Carmen does uh, great work uh, written and otherwise around the National Football League and in particular now uh, with Fox Sports and their coverage of the NFC North. I look forward to talking with her about the Chicago Bears trading the number one overall pick in the NFL draft to the Carolina Panthers recently. Uh, Carmen also has tremendous insight, and I got to know her and work with her in and around the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and comparing the COVID-19 crazy year of Tom Brady and the Buccaneers winning the Super Bowl to then covering the Super Bowl for Fox Sports in a different role, an impartial kind of down-the-middle role as opposed to working for a team winning a Super Bowl. She covered the Super Bowl for FoxSports.com back during uh, this past February for the Kansas City Chiefs win over the Philadelphia Eagles. She'll tell you that story. We'll kind of compare and contrast uh, working for a team versus working down the middle. Uh, the Aaron Rodgers conversation uh, will heat up. Is Rodgers going to be traded or not? I have a theory about that. I'll share it with Carmen. I'll get her thoughts. She's got a brand new item up on FoxSports.com about the Rodgers trade. Is it happening to the New York Jets? What's really going on there? So Carmen Vitale, Carmi V, is with me in a few minutes uh, to talk NFL coverage, NFL media, and the differences in it. And I think you're going to be very interested to hear what she has to say with her knowledge and her insight uh, on this. Look forward to that. Later on in the program, let's talk some March Madness, and why not? It grips the country every year from a sports standpoint at this time in the month of March. And Stephen Bardo does a fantastic job calling Big Ten games and now national games as well for Westwood One Radio right off the NCAA tournament uh, calls this weekend in Birmingham, Alabama, where both uh, number one seeded Alabama and number one seed Houston stayed alive in separate brackets. Alabama, the South bracket champs or the South bracket top seed looking to be the South bracket champs as they advance to Louisville, Kentucky. Houston is the other number one seed that was in Birmingham. They're in the Midwest bracket that's playing in Kansas City. Uh, Alabama getting ready to play San Diego State as we release the podcast. Houston ready to play Miami. Stephen Bardo saw both of those teams was in that arena in Birmingham, 
I want to talk to him, but I, I, in particular, because this is a sports media podcast, not so much the X's and O's with the teams first and the results, but Steven works uh, television, obviously, throughout the college basketball season for the Big Ten Network, for Fox and Fox Sports 1. I want Bardo's thoughts on the difference in plugging in to do radio as the analyst versus the TV. And I think you're going to be fascinated to hear what he believes those differences are. He'll share some about his career and about how he evolved from a prominent player at the University of Illinois, a 10-year professional basketball player uh, with a playing career in the NBA and overseas who then became a broadcaster and now a broadcasting analyst for college basketball in particular. Stephen Bardo later on here in the Last Word on Sports Media a podcast program. Again, thank you for finding me, however you've done so, through a social media link, through our partners at the Last Word on Sports.com. Go to lastwordonsports.com slash podcast to find out more about this podcast. And again, on this feed, you get George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast. Uh, George, again, interviews a lot of different figures in and around Chicago sports media, but he branches out as well to national broadcasters that somehow connect back to Chicago from the likes of Bob Costas to Michael Wilbon uh, to Kevin Harlan. Uh, Bring it back to Chicago to the likes of Steve Stone when you talk uh, Cubs and White Sox baseball uh, on and on down the list. Uh, And in fact, recently, uh, you've heard from Greg Gumbel most recently on uh, George's podcast, who got his start, obviously, in Chicago before going to ESPN and eventually now has become synonymous with CBS's coverage of the NCAA tournament in the studio. Uh, Greg Gumbel, by the way, recently re-upping with CBS to continue in the role, even in his late 70s, continuing in the role as studio host for the NCAA tournament coverage on CBS. Greg Gumbel was the most recent podcast guest. Uh, right now, Don Levin is the podcast guest. Interesting story about the owner of the American Hockey League, Chicago Wolves, and how they've had success in the Chicago market despite the success of the Chicago Blackhawks of the NHL. The Chicago Wolves have had that success, and Don Levin has had a, uh, Levin has had a very interesting um, uh, time as an entrepreneur, making a lot of money a lot of different ways, including in minor league hockey. So Don is George's uh, guest this week. Jason Benetti multifaceted college football and basketball broadcaster and TV voice with Steve Stone of the Chicago White Sox. Jason Bonetti is the guest next week with George. So a lot of plugs for his podcast that's on this very feed. If you're following or subscribing on this very feed, you get George Hoffman. And then later in the week, you also get Mike Gill and Phil DeMont-Mollin with the Announcer Schedules podcast. Mike will be off of vacation. He actually came down in my part of the world in the Tampa St. Pete Clearwater area to get out of the cold weather, a little cooler in the Tampa Bay area, not as cold as the as the Northeast where Mike is from. But Mike is back on the podcast with Phil. I filled in for Mike last week with Phil DeMont-Mollin on announcer schedules. They go over who's calling those games nationally on TV and radio, who's doing a great job, uh, outlooks on all of it from March Madness uh, to the NBA winding down, the NHL winding down, uh, golf, the World Baseball Classic. You get all of it. Announcer schedules for Mike and Phil on this podcast feed later in the week. They'll have lots to break down on that show coming up. So we've got plenty to go over. Again, thank you for following. Thank you for subscribing. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Make sure you rate and review us. Last word on Sports Media Podcast as we go along. Before I get to my guests, just something real fun, real quick. There is a viral clip that is out there of Kevin Harlan going crazy during the NCAA tournament first round call of Furman's upset over Virginia 
in Orlando, Florida, in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. A monumental win for Furman, who had not won an NCAA tournament game. A Southern Conference school that had not been in the tournament since 1980. Kids, you're talking about 43 years ago. You're talking about basically two generations of college basketball fans that don't know anything about Furman and March Madness in the NCAA tournament. Because you're going all the way back to the Jimmy Carter administration um, as president of the United States, as the last time Furman was in. The last time they won a game was 1974, March of 1974. Richard Nixon was still in the White House, embattled in the Watergate scandal, and eventually resigned later in 1974. That's the last time Furman won an NCAA tournament game. As you probably know by now, they shocked Virginia, if you follow college basketball, on a last-second three-point shot. So there's a viral video that is out there of Kevin Harlan on the call uh, for CBS and Turner's coverage of the NCAA tournament. Frankly, I don't know which channel the game was on. I was in the arena. It may very well have been on CBS. It may have been on Turner. I'm not sure which. TNT, TBS, True TV, I don't know which, was showing the opening round game. But anyway, Harlan going crazy as Furman stole the ball in the waning seconds, and P.J. Pugis is the name. Really, the only true buzzer beater we had of the opening weekend was Furman's shot right off the bat early Thursday in the NCAA tournament. Incredible moment for them. And incredible for me because I ventured to Orlando from where I live in West Central Florida in Tampa Bay. Now, full disclosure, I live in a northern suburb of Tampa called Lutz that's about 15 minutes outside of the city limits, about 25 minutes out of downtown Tampa proper, uh, probably 20, 25 minutes from Raymond James Stadium where the Buccaneers won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. So I'm in the northern burbs. So I'm trying to get from my home to Orlando to be at these first four games that are in the NCAA tournament uh, in Orlando that included not only Furman and Virginia, but San Diego State and Charleston were playing there, Duke and Oral Roberts, Tennessee and Louisiana. This is last Thursday. So I've got to venture from my home and get to downtown Orlando. And reminder, it's spring break. You've got Disney traffic. You've got SeaWorld traffic in Orlando. It's crazy this time of year. So I ventured, battled the traffic, and got over to the Amway Center where the Orlando Magic uh, play home games and where this NCAA tournament first round day of four games was being held. By the time I parked, and I'm listening to the games on Westwood One Radio, as I'll make mention of with Stephen Bardo, keeping me company when you hear that interview in a little bit. So I'm hearing the Westwood One broadcast of this game, uh, of the early Maryland-West Virginia game that was going on. And I'm trying to remember uh, if there was another first-round game that was also uh, going on in another bracket, another pod. I think there probably was. There were three of them going on, I think, at that time. So I'm flipping the channel uh, back and forth. I'll tell you what it was. It was uh, an early game, I think, with Utah State and Missouri. That was the early game that was also going on in Sacramento, uh, heading over there to that building. Okay, so I get over there um, in the area. I get parked. I get the credential to get in the arena, and Virginia and Furman is in the final minute of the game, the final 30 seconds of the game. By the time I get out on the arena floor, and I start looking for where's the press row seating chart, and I see an open seat on the second row, press row in Orlando. So I go over to that open seat as they're coming out of the timeout for Furman in Virginia, with Virginia leading by two and trying to inbound the ball, and they're buzzing the horn. I sit down in the seat. I'm not in that seat for more than a minute of actual time before Furman remarkably steals the ball on a crazy play where the Virginia player, Kehi Clark, 
a senior, fires the ball to no one in particular at midcourt. Furman steals. They get the ball to a player, P.J. Pagis. That's his name. And he bombs in the go-ahead three with just a couple of seconds left. Incredible. Right in front of me, right after I sat down, after driving for roughly two hours to get there to be in the arena, I get there just in time for that. Well, here's the payoff. The viral video with Kevin Harlan and Stan Van Gundy and Dan Bonner calling the game that's all over social media. I'm in the background behind them announcing this, having just gotten into the press row seat. You can go look at that viral video in a Where's Waldo moment with TJ, the host of Last Word on Sports Media, among other things, sitting in the background in the orange polo, the orangest light uh, uh, orange polo shirt. Check that out. You, you can go see it. You can go find it. I was there for the madness. I was there behind Kevin Harlan, who's fantastic on the mic, but he's also very animated off, off the uh, camera. He's animated calling the game. You'll see that in the clip. I'm in the clip. That historic clip that's out there that's been viewed over 6 million times now, I'm in the clip. So it's a Where's Waldo moment that has definitely come up, and I'm, I'm kind of involved there in that NCAA tournament moment. I was there. I was there for that remarkable run. I was back there on Saturday, battled through the traffic again, watched San Diego State finish off Furman to move on to the Sweet 16 where they will play Alabama on Friday night, and then also watched Tennessee knock off Duke. And look, CBS and the NCAA selection uh, people and the NCAA itself, they, they're not going to admit this, but man, they, they wanted Duke in the Sweet 16 because it's worth a couple of million extra eyeballs. I mean, for God's sake, on Saturday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, there's 10 million people watching Duke play Tennessee in a in a second-round game. How many people would have uh, been watching Thursday night from Madison Square Garden? If there's 10 million watching on Saturday afternoon, Duke would have easily had 14 or 15 million watching on Thursday. I don't know what the ratings are going to be Thursday night for Florida Atlantic, Tennessee, Kansas State, and Michigan State, but it's not nearly as good as having Duke there. But Tennessee won it. They deserved it. They'll they'll play Florida Atlantic anyway. I'm just saying, I was there for the impressive showing by the Vols out of the SEC. They knocked Duke out of the tournament. And, of course, Kansas is also lost as the defending champs in a brand name, a blue blood. Kentucky has lost. Again, on Sunday, Kentucky had close to 11 million people watching Sunday afternoon in a standalone NCAA tournament game. On Sunday afternoon, by the way. Uh, but Kentucky is out as well. You do have some brand names like Gonzaga and UCLA playing each other in Las Vegas on Thursday night. You've got some other brand names like UConn, uh, as well as uh, Texas, um, Arkansas, that have some history in the Sweet 16, in the Elite Eight. The Houston Cougars trying to be back in the Final Four for the second time in three years. Of course, the Final Four is in Houston. You've got some name recognition. But it's not quite the same as having the likes of Duke, the, the likes of Kentucky, of Kansas, the Blue Bloods. You do have UCLA, Gonzaga. You'll get that matchup. You get one of those uh, well-known programs that'll be in there. And look, if it's a Western regional final between either Gonzaga, UCLA, and then UConn winning, you, you've got both ends of the country covered there. The Northeast will care for UConn, and the West will care for Gonzaga or UCLA in that matchup. So... We'll see how the Sweet 16 plays out, but there's a little conversation on it. All right, without further delay, let's get to our guests. Uh, again, two of them, Carmen Vitale talking NFL, Stephen Bardo uh, talking uh, about the NCAA tournament and the coverage that he just did on Westwood One, as opposed to the TV coverage of the Big Ten tournament in the Big Ten regular season. All of that as we rock along here on the podcast. 
been looking forward to this conversation, not just for the insight on the NFL, not just because I love hanging out uh, and talking football with her, but maybe a little uh, figurative hand-holding over blown-up brackets as well between she, – she has two degrees – Arizona State and Northwestern, both out of the tournament. And, of course, my degree is a collector's item, item Carmen Vitale, uh, because I graduated from Memphis State University, which doesn't exist anymore. It's now the University of Memphis. So we're, we're all the way out of the tournament between your two and my one. Yeah. Uh, so it's like bracket uh, hand-holding. So uh, welcome in Carmi V of Fox Sports and FoxSports.com's coverage of the National Football League, but well-versed on other things like the NCAA tournament or whatever you might need. As she joins me on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast, good to see you as I get a look at you, even though they're only hearing us right now. Good to see you. How are things besides the brackets here in the in the month of March and never an off-season in the NFL for sure? How are you? Yeah, I'm great. And you're completely correct. There is absolutely no offseason in the NFL. So I am simultaneously on <laughs> Rogers watch talking about the Bears, this, that and the other while my bracket is getting blown up and busted at all hours of the past few days. Uh, you mentioned Arizona State and Northwestern. They got bounced mm. on consecutive days. Mm. Real exciting for me. Although in in uh, in the fall of these comes the pleasure of my friends or whatever that saying is and i saw arizona as the number one seed get bounced <laughs> and by a 16 seed 15 seed well, well, it's well, a well, 15 beating a two it's but a, it's the same difference it's a, two. it's a it's yeah, a yeah, huge yeah. upset there, well there's been quite a few of those because yeah purdue was the for, for the right, number one seed right. that got bounced by this right, right right no but i that was better than any arizona state win was university of arizona i understand as so a, I was uh, as a Memphis yeah. guy, the fact that Louisville won four basketball games this year, the rival of Memphis for decades, won four yeah. games this year. Even if the Tigers didn't win an NCAA tournament game, that's kind of like success in the misery yeah. of others that Louisville was that really? bad. So I can identify with what you're saying here on the whole ASU versus uh, Arizona situation with that. <laughs> um, you mentioned and and I should say to the audience, we're doing this overnight. Tuesday into Wednesday. So if something happens with the Aaron Rodgers situations, it happens while we're putting the podcast out. Uh, but you you do have to kind of be tethered at all hours of the day and night on that kind of news while covering the NFC North as you do for FoxSports.com. There's really not, let's say, off hours because that news could come at 10 p.m. at night or 5.30 in the morning or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, whatever it is right now in the supposed off season. Yeah, I have notifications on my Twitter for all of the major insiders, all, every, anybody that could possibly break any sort of news that has to do with my teams. I have them on alert on notifications. So the first thing I do when I roll over in the morning is check <laughs> that little tab and to see what happened overnight. And I mean, it's it is it's wild. You're never off. You never know when things are coming. We did get a little bit of a heads up that Rodgers was going to say something when he went on the Pat McAfee show last Tuesday. So I, I was, or Wednesday, excuse me. He was usually on Tuesdays during the, during the season. And I was like, man, if you could have just told me that like a little bit prior to that. So like the whole weekend, I wasn't just, again, like you said, tethered to my phone, wondering if something's going to break. Uh, the Friday before that was when the Bears traded the number one overall we'll pick. We'll get like to 4 that. 4.30 PM. What, what, 4.30 on a Friday. We'll get to that. On Friday. Up. We'll get yeah, to that so tomorrow. yeah, you're, there's there's no there's no off season. There's also no off time. 
because none of this follows a schedule. For Let me part. share with you because Uncle TJ often likes to share some wisdom to whatever extent. I'm uh, I'm full of stories. I'm full of something. But let me share some Uncle TJ's wisdom. It's always very appreciated. All right. So Uncle TJ's wisdom on trades, prominent trades in big time professional sports being in the media. And I think you know this to an extent because you've been around for a while. This is very profound. Once we get to like the first few hours, the first day, and even to the second day that a prominent trade is out there and in the media and it ain't happening, it's because it ain't happening, period. So now we sit here almost a week later and Aaron Rodgers is still not traded to the New York Jets and Aaron Rodgers could have been traded at any point in time in the last few days. So to me, from the cheap seats, that one ain't happening. If it was going wow. to happen... It would have already happened, according to Uncle TJ right now. Now, I may be stunned because, again, we may release this podcast, uh, uh, Carmi uh, V, and uh, and maybe he is traded to the New York Jets. But I, I have I've almost I, I, I was uh, put onto this 25 years ago by prominent people covering this is this is in a much different age. Internet was like in its infancy, et cetera, with people finding out information. And somebody said to me, hey, if it if it is out and it isn't done if it's out that it's being discussed and here's the possible and it's leaked and it's what, and it doesn't get done, then it's not getting done. It's just in general, NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball trades at the winter meetings, whatever it is, it's not getting done. So that's just my theory on this. I don't, I don't have any insight. I'm just saying, what is your opinion on my, on my axiom, on my take? Um, Honestly, I don't think it's, I think it's reigned true for a long time, but also the leak or the source of the information that it's coming from is Aaron Rodgers himself. And Aaron Rodgers also is an anomaly in and of himself in that he usually gets what he wants. He has gotten what he's wanted from the Green Bay Packers all 18 years of his career. Uh, I guess, say for maybe the first three that he didn't start. And, and But once he took over, for, once he was the guy, especially within the last few years, after he won the Super Bowl, Multiple MVPs have come. He now calls the shots and he is telling Green Bay, I want out. You got to so let me out. Why is it not and done? He, if he's the guy and they and they want to accommodate him and they want to get something for him, why it, Why is this? It's been out I, there for like three weeks. He I pronounced a, it. He proclaimed well, it last fair, week. Yeah. To be fair, Rogers, he contradicted himself multiple times on the Pat McAfee show. But one thing he did say was, so he went on on a Wednesday. He said he didn't know that he wanted to play and go to the Jets for sure until Friday, which I don't buy either. Right, right. But if you're telling me that you didn't, you weren't decided and you did not put it out there that you were decided by that point, Green Bay can't move until you say, I'm, this is, this is what I'm doing. This is what I want to do. So now you, at that point, he pointed back to the Packers for holding the whole process up. And it's like, well, yeah, you've only given them technically three days Right. To figure out some sort of compensation package. And he's also very unique in that he's, you're probably, if you're the Jets, not going to get him for more than one or two years. So how much do you really realistically want to give up for him? Also, Rodgers doesn't want you to give up anything because he knows that you still need to build this team a little bit more. But the Packers are saying, listen, this is a four-time league MVP, won a Super Bowl. We want something for him. We want a first for him. Right. Maybe not multiple firsts, but like you look at the trade. They're not asking Russell Wilson money, but they're also not asking Matt Ryan money because Rogers and the situation falls somewhere in the middle. So I think that's the interesting part. I think all of it is a very unique and unprecedented, unprecedented circumstance. 
other than, I mean, you, you look at the Favre situation, the Packers actively shopped Favre. They did Why? not have to, they didn't have to shop Rogers. Rogers like, no, I want to go to the Jets. So like, but I can give you insight done. on that because we lived that more than 15 years ago now, or right because at 15 it was years supposed ago. to be the Bucks, and because because the Bucks believed it was the Bucks, and as the story goes, and I got this confirmed from people in the building, including the equipment people, Favre had his stuff sent to Tampa because he believed yes. the trade was coming to Tampa, including yes. his cleats, including yes. his stuff was shipped his to stuff Tampa. Made it, he did not. Yes, correct. And so that's that's a, yet another example of. Uh, if they're if they're not doing the deal uh, within the day or so that this is out. So just one more time for me, do you believe he lands with the Jets eventually or are you dubious? There's the, the word I'll use in our conversation. Are you dubious that this is not going to be the dance partner and we're going to get into a stalemate situation where he's unhappy? And maybe you know what? Maybe it happens. I'm just talking through it. Maybe it happens later in the offseason, like after the draft, which I know the Jets wouldn't want that. I don't know, but the fact that we're five or six days later and they didn't trade him, my red flag's up. The floor is I have I have an extensive opinion, probably not one that we have time for, about why this could be taking a long time because of the fact... The 32nd version is... In its current state, Green Bay is not motivated to make this move quickly. They don't have to. They've got no reason that this needs... They're mad at him out of spite? What's, what's I don't think it's motive? out of spite. I think that if you're talking a first-round pick and maybe you're talking a first-round pick in 2024 is that you're not going to be able to take advantage of right away. The the At the point that you need to make a decision, it's not until Ro- the Rodgers' option comes up. And that doesn't happen until training camp. So you have absolutely no reason that you... If you're not going to get an immediate return for him anyway... There's also a dead cap hit whole dynamic that enters into this, in which case if Rodgers is a post June one trade, you actually lessen your cap hit by a significant amount. It goes from 40 million in 2023 to 15 million and then a 24 million carryover in 2024. So again, I actually have something coming out about this tomorrow on FoxSports.com. Shameless Very plug. Nice. But nice. there is a I have a laundry list of reasons why this is being held up. And some of it is probably spite too, because Aaron Rodgers decided he was going to play an entire season now because he was 90% retired. I'm saying that in air quotes. Nobody can see me, but I'm saying that in air quotes. He was 90% retired before going into his darkness retreat. More more air quotes there. And then all of a sudden he comes out and he finds out that the Packers are saying, well, if he comes back to play, what, what could we get for him? And now he's mad and now he's going to play an entire season out of spite. So I don't know. There's, there's a lot of high emotions. There's a lot of drama that goes on. It's it's a team that uh, always has something going on. I mean, they are the Dallas Cowboys of the Midwest. So they they are in, the, they somehow stay relevant in the storylines, in the topics at all times. And it makes it highly entertaining to cover, honestly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The conversation shall continue in a couple of moments. First, let's tell you about our friends at BetUS who want to give you, yes, you, a $50 free bet this weekend for the Sweet 16 and the Elite 8 by using their online service. They're America's favorite sports book, and you want to take advantage of this offer. Get a free bet with our promo code BRACKET23. BRACKET23 gets you a free $50 bet for the NCAA tournament. You can really use it on anything you want, but why would you not use it on March Madness with all these Sweet 16 games, whether it's Alabama and San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, Tennessee, Xavier, Texas, Gonzaga, UCLA, UConn, Arkansas, on and on. A free $50 bet awaits you at BetUS. They've got outstanding coverage of all of the sports. They've been America's favorite sports book for going on 30 years. You bet you win. You get paid with BetUS. Free bet awaits you. Use our promo code BRACKET23 for that free bet. BRACKET23 gets you a free $50 bet for the March Madness coverage with BetUS. That's the voice of uh, Carmi V. She's at Carmi V on Twitter. She does a great job uh, with insight on the NFC North in particular, those Bears, those Packers, those Lions, those Vikings. And she's joining me here on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast to go over several subjects. And I also want to get to a couple of other parts and facets to the job. That's what I'm interested in uh, here in this conversation. Not that I can't uh, listen to some more insight and wisdom on the salary cap and on the possible trade, et cetera. I'm fine with that. But uh, I think people are fascinated, at least from a sports media standpoint, about some of the other aspects of these things. Okay, so let's back up to like at the time we're releasing this about 12 days ago. It's a Friday afternoon. And suddenly what had been kicked around, theorized, rumored happens. The Chicago Bears trade the number one overall pick. Take me back to you going into work mode. Again, (laughs) tethered to I'm always really on the clock. And now I'm on the clock at 435 o'clock. Friday afternoon, take me back to the dynamic of having to figure all that out, write about it, track everything down. Go ahead. Listen, the trade-off of having a season that's as hectic as ours is, is that in the off season, we work from home, I'm remote. So Fridays are like my errand days. I go to the gym a little bit later. I go to the grocery store. I do all of the things that make me a human on Fridays because there's Friday news dumps, but none of those are usually of consequence. And by 4.30 p.m. especially, you're usually fine. Now, I was lucky enough in that I got my errands done a little bit earlier that day, and I had literally just walked in the door. I thought you were about to tell me you were in the produce section going over the vegetables Uh, or whatever when the alert came off. Not the case. Things like that have happened to me more times than I can count. But this time I got a little bit lucky in that I was already – but I, I kid you not, TJ, I was I had just walked in the door from running my errands. And I was putting my groceries away and I was whatever. And then my little alerts on my phone goes off. And what? And I, at first I didn't even pay attention to it because I'm like, ah, oh, you know, Friday, whatever. But then I hear bing, 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 bing. I was like, okay, something happened. And I sure enough, I go and look and a minute, a minute had gone by that the trade had gone through. So that was something that we had been anticipating. We weren't anticipating that to happen so quickly. Ryan Poles was just at the combine bringing that scenario up that perhaps they would trade down before free agency began. But at that point, yeah, I mean, you were up against the wall. Free agency was literally, you know, the legal tampering period was opening on Monday. So it made sense that it happened on a Friday afternoon. But I think we just didn't anticipate it happening that much later. But Carolina's on East Coast time. 
Chicago is on central time. They're an hour apart. We were like, okay, we're probably safe for now. Maybe it'll come through on Monday morning. Nope. But yeah, so I, you jump right in, you, you start to kind of weed through all of the things you, you see the compensation package and then you have to sit with it. At least I do for a couple of minutes, just to kind of think through everything, how this impacts the organization. Was this a good deal? With the addition of DJ Moore. My first thought was, did they, I don't think they got enough for him. That was my initial thought. And you would speak to this more enough for the number one overall pick, I should say. I thought they should have gotten more. What was your initial reaction in the kitchen, still putting away the ice cream, the uh, whatever <laughs> else, the, uh, the, the, the vegetables, the cereal boxes in our case, in our household? What was your initial reaction on whether they got enough for the number one pick while you're standing there on a Friday afternoon? No, I thought instantaneously, especially because it was not only a picks, but a player mm -hmm. uh, trade. I thought, listen, DJ Moore is your instantaneous wide receiver one in Chicago. That's something you were lacking. That's something you needed. You got that off the board in a, especially in a climate where there weren't the free agency wide receiver class is not great. The draft wide receiver class isn't great. So where were you going to get this wide receiver mm -hmm. one? That was genius. So that home run out of the like ball. And then you, you take into account that I don't think a lot of people necessarily see it this way, but you traded down. Yes. But that also means that's, that counts as a number as a first, as a first round pick. And then you got a first round pick in 2024. And then you got, you got different picks. You got a second round pick in 2025. You got a second round pick this year. Like you got multiple first round picks, multiple second round picks, and you got a giant position of need and you weren't that you weren't going to get somewhere else. And so I thought instantaneously, this was, this just sent their whole rebuild into overdrive. And I was very impressed right off the bat. I mean, here's the thing too. Okay. You're trading down to the ninth spot, but I had just been talking prior to that all week about how there could be four quarterbacks that we see go in the top six picks. Easy. And if that's the case, then you only have four non-quarterbacks off the board by the time the Bears have to pick now. So they still get that. They already have their wide receiver need taken care of. I just I thought it was it was brilliant. I thought and and look, I, I'm older, so just go ahead and call me old Uncle TJ. I remember the Herschel Walker trade as it was happening. And again, this is pre-internet, et cetera. And I'm sitting back as a as a younger, brand new guy in and around. Uh, what the Cowboys are doing. I'm still in college, actually. And I'm going, that is just stupidly too much by Minnesota. That was my initial reaction to that. Yeah. So this was just more or less, ah, it's the number one overall pick. It's it's not enough. That's where I come from. So I'm interested on this dynamic, Carmen Vitale. So at that point, are you checking with an editor at foxsports.com on this is what my thinking is, on what I want to write about this? Take us through the dynamic, because I, I love this part, and I know the audience appreciates this part. Uh, you know, putting aside uh, whatever you typically buy, whether it's crackers, vino, whatever else at the grocery <laughs> store that you got, you're also checking with the editor on yeah. uh, and 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 going to work on a, on a late Friday. It's great being at a place like Fox Sports because we have a topics desk, our news desk, that when these things happen, there is instantaneously a piece of content on the website that states this has happened. It's very dry. It's very mm -hmm. factual. It's just the information. But it goes up on the site immediately. We have a, a tremendous topics team that handles all of that. So when it comes time for us, the writers that cover each division, 
to react to things. It's just that it's a reaction. So I hop on with my editor, we slack each other and I say, obviously going to do something about this. And then I do, I bounce my ideas. I'm like, listen, I really like this because of the, all the things that I just listed, right? Love the DJ more pickup. I love that this shows that they're forward thinking because they're getting capital, not only for this year, but for next, they're treating this like a multi-year process. And then I keep talking about, all right, what does this do for them in the immediate? How many more holes can they potentially fill? Could there be more moves that they want to do? We talk through everything. And then I put down my thoughts and I send it away and he goes through it, checks it for typos. Fox is very, very good about the fact that they let us have our opinions. They want our opinions. Mm -hmm. And so nothing is edited out or taken out unless there's something that, you know, they felt I stepped over the line, which has yet to happen. Mm -hmm. And it's great. And then it goes up on the site. It's, it's posted for me. It's filled out with my tweets on the matter. I mean, I was, that's the other thing too, is not only am I writing, but I'm weeding up a storm. I'm reacting to different tweets. I'm quote tweeting, you know, DJ Moore saying like with all the eye emojis to Chicago, all that other stuff. I'm keeping an eye on that simultaneously. I wish I had like four eyes for instances like this, where I'm trying to write, I'm trying to tweet, I'm trying to monitor, like all these different things are happening at once, but no, my editors are great. And we talk through everything. And that, that doesn't just go for breaking news like that. That goes for weekly things. It's, Hey, I want to write about this. I think this is interesting. And they will actually build it out a little bit more and say, well, did you consider this aspect of that? And it's like, oh yeah, that's a good, that's a good thing to include. And we just bounce things off each other. I'm so much better when I can be more collaborative and when I can talk through something with someone because it will get me to see different angles. And so I try to talk to as many people as I possibly can, whether that's sources, whether that's my editor, whoever, before I do these columns or more opinion-based analysis of certain events, which is great. I love the insight of Carmen Vitale, FoxSports.com, NFC North reporter. And again, full disclosure, Carmen used to work with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers prior to this. So I got to know her, be around her. Uh, we bonded together in the COVID crazy, the COVID-19 crazy season of 2020, where we were literally watching road football games in the control room of Raymond James Stadium <laughs> and doing Good them time. off of TV, which that's got to go down. If you're writing the book. I would love to contribute to whatever segment of the of the book that's on that because that goes down there in a Super Bowl winning season with Tom Brady showing up and we're doing every road game out of the control room of Raymond James Stadium on TV. We sat yeah. there as our own little group, our own little clique, having to socially distance even from each other, even in that room. Yeah, uh, with masks on, with masks on, it and everything. Any more bizarre box lunches? And... To, yes, to cover <laughs> and to, and to do this. So we kind of bonded. We all of us bonded uh, in and around uh, doing that. I wonder one more aspect on this when you're mentioning the tweets. So that's the modern thing. Did you turn on Chicago sports radio, which is a big deal in the in the number? three or number two, whichever you prefer media market, that's a big deal. Did you turn on for any bear feedback? Were you just monitoring on social media to hear what bear fans were saying to, to, as an aspect of the story, you know, bear fans love this bear fans are killing this trade for the number one overall pick. Uh, I wonder, I wonder, did that have any, did that cross your mind? Did that have any influence whatsoever? Yeah. I'm sorry to say that I, my first instinct was not, and is never to turn on radio at this point it, because I can read text of what, of opinions from fans, from even from the radio hosts themselves True. and, and people around on the beat 
Uh, I can read that all in a very easy to digest way on Twitter, which is why we all love Twitter so much. So let me give you an Uncle TJ story again from the 90s, and it involves Chicago. It involves a prominent trade that didn't happen, and it's exactly what we're talking about. It ties in, and this is why uh, I hope people enjoy the insight on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. So very famously, Scottie Pippen, the Scottie Pippen of Michael and Scottie, which again, we're going back to Carmi V's youth here of the Bulls and being dominant. Remember, they had him traded. He They had yeah. agreed to a trade with the Seattle Sonics on draft night of the NBA draft in June of whatever year that was, 95, 96. Was, I, I, was, I was too early to remember it in live, but I know that it Somewhere around there. And what <laughs> yeah, happened is it leaked out that this trade is going to happen. And Barry Ackerley was the owner's name of the Seattle Sonics. He also owned the prominent sports radio station KJR in Seattle. And when Barry Ackerley came, became aware of the vitriol on what are you doing trading for Scottie Pippen and whatever the other components were in the trade, this is too much. What are you doing? He's nothing without Michael Jordan. Barry Ackerley freaked out. The owner of the Sonics, listening to his sports radio station that he owned, in addition to the in addition to the Seattle Sonics, freaked out and kiboshed his own trade in no small part because of fan reaction. So there was a day when that had influence. It actually was part of the decision to nix that trade. So that's why I, I bring that I, up. That's, yeah, okay, I would argue that it still has, and and, and maybe not officially no one comes out and says this is why but i would say especially from working inside a building Mm -hmm. or a football team there everybody like watches social media everybody is reading social media and even now i can't get away with anything without getting texts from if i'm critical or if there's something (laughs) you know kind of funny or outlandish that i'll say which again, it's all in good fun. It's, I'm not, I don't usually come down very hard on people unless they it's fair and they deserve it. But I will get texts from coaches. I will get texts from players. I will get texts from executives that are like, hey, saw that. Oh, really? Like <laughs> everyone reads this stuff. So uh-huh. I think the medium may have changed, but the sentiment remains. And I do think it's really interesting. And it's always, I always like to point out though, the percentage of the population, the percentage of the fan base even, that is on social media, much like the percentage of the fan base that would call into radio shows is not the majority. It's the minority. Not even By close. a long shot. Right. Yes. Not yes. even close. And so to make decisions based off of the <laughs> loudest voices has is always been, I mean, it's it's a reality, but it's always been funny to me because you can t- show all the metrics you want. But the people participating on social media are not are not the majority at all. So you're make you're basing your decisions now off this little cult like community <laughs> on social media, and it just it doesn't make sense to me. But that's okay. It, that's just how this In works. The sport, and, and I I again began uh, my career to whatever level it has it has risen, uh, doing five day a week sports radio and all of the research nationwide everywhere all the time for year after year showed less than 3% of those who the uh, those that were listening were calling less than 3%. Yeah. That means a hundred people in the room, 97 of them didn't call you. They're just listening. They're, they're participating by listening, not right. by calling. So right. the, the, the caller thing is crazy, but I'm telling you, Barry Ackerley got cold feet because he heard the callers and he heard the vitriol and, and, 
I don't know. I mean, I think we'll hear more and more stories as the statute of limitations kind of gets lifted off of some of these scenarios. I don't think we're far enough into our social media era yet, but I guarantee you, like there will be all of these books then written about the infancy of social media and its impact on sports. I even toyed with doing a thesis that I ended up just not having time for. So I switched topics. But when I got my master's degree at Northwestern, one of my ideas was how the how so how the rise of social media has impacted coaching tenure and my hypothesis and i go again i wish i would go back and like i could go back and do this as a thesis what my theory was though that the more prominent social media gets the shorter coaching tenures are and i because i think that a lot of owners see all of the things on social media they see the feedback when a coach loses a game or loses a player or what have you, and they make knee-jerk reactions and they pull the trigger on things that they otherwise would not have done had they not seen that reaction. So that that's always been my hypothesis. And maybe one day I'll take a sabbatical from sports media and I will just, I will publish this very I am championing work, you. I am in but... your corner. I think you're on to it. I support you in that. Go for it at your, uh, at your own desired time frame and time yeah. and time uh limit that you would like to do that again just a couple more minutes because you've been gracious uh with your time here with me all right so this is fascinating because again you were part of a super bowl winning season we all were in tampa bay while working for an organization all right so working for the buccaneers working for buccaneers.com with tom brady and company winning the super bowl still one of the most surreal things Yes. That any of us, I mean, I, I did, I think you and I have talked about this. I did finally have a moment. It was not quite a senior moment, but it was right. in this, it was right before halftime of Super Bowl 55 as the Buccaneers were going in for a late first half touchdown uh, into that South end zone, barely anybody in the stands except for cardboard cutouts. I mean, it's just bizarre. I'm standing there by, by the rule of the NFL, standing there in a mask with no one around me walking back and forth in about a 20-yard area of the front row where nobody's allowed to really even be around me. It's crazy enough. And then I'm watching Tom Brady in a Buccaneer uniform throw a touchdown to Rob Gronkowski in a Buccaneer uniform in a Super Bowl, yeah. Carmen, that's being played at Raymond James Stadium yeah. with the end zone painted Buccaneers red in the end zone. I had my moment at that point of, is this really happening? Right. And you may have had it before that or during that game, but I had my moment and had to regroup yeah. for a second and go, this really is happening. This is crazy what, what we are watching. All right. So we lived that. Did you have one of those moments, by the way? I don't want to monopolize. Did you have no, one of those I, moments along I did. the way? I don't, the whole, is this real thing that came to me in many moments across the season of like getting to watch practice from 25 feet away with a mask on outside uh, all those things where the figures are far enough away from me that I'm like, is that, is that really Tom? Is that really Tom Brady? Is he really there? Is that really Gronk? Like, is this, or is this like a fever dream that I am just hallucinating right. and I haven't woken up yet. And then the Super Bowl was also super surreal. My dad and my brother were there, which was great. That made it a little bit more real. Cause I'm like, I can touch you. I know you're here mm -hmm. and, but surrounded by cardboard cutouts, of course. But my moment that the Bucks won didn't hit me until like maybe eight, nine days later. And I was driving down Bayshore and I had to pull over into a parking lot just got because I just started sobbing. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what happened. What happened? Did we do did that happen? Like that actually happened. And it was 
one of those, yeah, like clouds were parting and all of these things that I was like, oh my God, that's really cool. And then I have a wonderful reminder right next to me, actually, yes. that tells me that I, that all happened. I have which one I'm, of those I'm talking about my ring. Two, so. A Super Bowl ring. I know I have one of those two, which is crazy. It's bizarre, but we live through it. Okay. But now I bring this to you just covered the Super Bowl for Fox Sports okay. uh, in Arizona. And lo and behold, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are back in the Super Bowl. So from a sports media standpoint, Tell me about that experience because now you're not involved with the team and covering it and working it. You're covering it just like the other outside media, the down the middle media. What was that part like going through it a second uh, way two years later? Yeah, that it was. I, I had a couple moments there too where I was kind of comparing and contrasting what it was like to be there on behalf of a team where to which I was incredibly invested when you're a team reporter, it's really nice because you can you don't have to pretend to be obje objective. You're not mm -hmm. objective. You mm -hmm. work for the team. The team signs your paychecks. You can root your little heart out for them. And that's what I did. And I still am a big fan of the Buccaneers because of all of the men and women in that building. But now I was like, okay, well, I don't really have a dog in this fight. I mean, I guess I had Sue. Dominican Sue was on the Philadelphia Eagles. My parents, my dad is from Philly. Like all my, my dad's siblings are rooting like hell for these guys. The Chiefs are kind of like a yawn. They're in the, you know, they're in there again, but also they have a really great story this year because they had so much turnover and they lost Tyreek Hill and this, that, and the other. So really what I found myself rooting for though, was just a good story. I wanted a good game and I wanted something to write about. And, and that was, I was actually following the Eagles that, that week, that was my job because I covered the NFC North. So Fox picked two of us prior to us knowing who was going to be in the Super Bowl. And one person from the NFC, one person from the AFC, and then that was the team that we were going to cover. So I covered the Eagles all the whole week leading up to it. I had gotten to know some of the guys, gotten to know some of the coaches. And I was like, I like this team a lot. My fans, my family back home. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go in on the Eagles. But it wasn't at all the same. And now I was really just rooting for a good game, something good to write about. I wanted to see the, I don't know, I want to see Rihanna. I was rooting for Rihanna at that point. <laughs> and by, and by the way, my almost 15-year-old twins, they were interested in the game, but they were much more interested in Rihanna as well. Oh, uh, absolutely. The show. And, and there's millions more that tuned in for the halftime show for that reason. Yes, yes, that was the that was the peak of the broadcast was Rihanna's halftime show, in fact. But yeah, I mean, Fox is a rights holder. Fox is putting on the Super Bowl. So the week leading up to it was just a high toned and fancy to do. Um, and that was what I, I think I probably compared that the most because I was like, this is what we missed out on in Tampa because it was COVID. And it just it was so much fun the week leading up to it, going to Radio Row, seeing all the people that were there, all the guys that had flown in. I ran into Levante David. I ran into Will Golston. I ran into a bunch of those guys that I was like, oh, it's so good to see you. And you just, it's just another opportunity to catch up with people. So that was where it came in. But oh my God, that week was exhausting. Absolutely mm -hmm. exhausting. I was there for eight days because, you know, Fox did the whole thing. So I'm going to Eagles availability. Meanwhile, I'm trying to jump to Radio Row to get on, do some appearances and do this and that and the other. There's this event this night. There's that event this night. And it was it was a blur, but it was a ton of fun. And you get to appreciate football for being football. And you remember why you loved it in the first place. And that's that's kind of what this Super Bowl was for me. Plus, it was a full circle moment. My first Super Bowl I ever attended, I was a PR volunteer in the press box. 
at that very same same stadium in Arizona when I was a freshman in college. And that is one of like the biggest moments of my career that stuck out to me because I'd always wanted to go to a Super Bowl. And I did it when I was 19. And then to be back there 15 years later in the same stadium, now covering a Super Bowl myself with my own credential and my own spot in the press box for a major outlet. It was cool. That was a very personal thing for me. Well done. Well said on all that. Well deserved on all of this. Uh, I have much love in the figurative sense and the literal sense here for Carmi V and her work ethic and what she does. Carmen Vitale, FoxSports.com. You have given me a ton. Thank you for the time on all of this. I'm sorry that our brackets are blown up. I wish that it was better on that front uh, with the final four coming. I will go hang out in Houston without you and cover that mayhem and whether (laughs) we don't know right now whether whether the Houston Cougars make it to Houston and turn it into a whole different circus besides just the final four. We'll find out if that happens, obviously, later this weekend, whether Houston can do that. That should be a lot of fun. Uh, As if I have to say this, stay tethered to the phone because I'll be on social media. I'll be reading. I'll be watching what happens with the Aaron Rodgers trade or not. With, again, the full disclaimer that if the Jets pulled this deal in the middle of the night, TJ goes down as a moron for everything that I have been saying. (laughs) I'm just still out there that it's too public. It has been too public for too long. And it hasn't happened, and that makes me dubious that it's not going to happen, and there's suddenly going to be a stealth extra team to, that he agrees to go to and get traded to. Uh, we'll see. Well, I, I don't know, or retires or something else. I don't know. But anyway, Carmen will be all over it. FoxSports.com. Follow her at V on Twitter. What else can we plug? The new column is out, right, on on laying out everything about the uh, the Rogers trade the who the that's how, the coming why. out tomorrow right. that's it's coming tomorrow. out Wednesday so as, yes as, as we release the podcast posting. yes as we post this it is Wednesday so it's out now so <laughs> yes. I'm t- I'm plugging forward for you Thank uh, you. and all else all else with the NFL non off season free agency yeah. NFL draft everything else that's going to happen here over the next four different teams. It's a lot of fun schedule release for all of those teams. We find all of this stuff out coming uh, soon. Carmi. Thank you. Thank you. Carmen Vitale. I I really do appreciate this on the last word on sports media podcast. Thanks uncle Tage. We'll continue with the conversation, but first something from our friends at ticket smarter. We've still got a ticket smarter offer out there right now for the sweet 16 and the elite eight. If you're looking to go to these games, Take advantage of the Ticket Smarter offer with our promo code HOOPS23 and take $10 off your order. You're going to get the most competitive prices on the secondary market. Your purchase is 100% guaranteed and safe through Ticket Smarter and their mobile app. And again, we've got a great offer for you. Take an additional 10 bucks off your order with Ticket Smarter and the Ticket Smarter mobile app. Whether you're going to Madison Square Garden, the Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky, T-Mobile Center in Kansas City, or the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Ticket Smarter is the place that you want to go on the secondary market for the most competitive prices. Our promo code is HOOPS23 to give you a $10 discount off your order as many times as you want to use it. Think smarter, think Ticket Smarter with the Ticket Smarter mobile app, and our promo code is HOOPS23. As promised, been looking forward to catching up with this guy. He does not even realize this, and I told him I'm, before I hit the record button, I'm not going to tell you until I hit the record button. You really kept me company during the first and second round of the NCAA tournament through the Westwood One coverage, through the TuneIn mobile app, while I was traversing the middle of the state of Florida, Tampa to Orlando and back for the first <laughs> round games there. Hello, Stephen Bardo of the Big Ten Network, Fox Sports, 
Flying Illini alumni, Final Four alumni, 1989. I always love that about you. Good to have you. Thank you for doing this with me. And I want to talk some March Madness with you because you kept me company. I'm I'm indebted to you. Well, I'm sure you heard Brandon Gordon's dulcet tones as well. And I had a great time uh, calling the games with him. So I'm glad we could do that for you. Yeah, you and he were in Birmingham doing a tremendous job with the eight teams that were Alabama and Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, Maryland, Virginia, Houston, Northern Kentucky, and Auburn and Iowa. Um, So I want to get into so many different facets of working the games more so than the X's and O's and the outcomes, because this is a sports media podcast with working the games. So let's get into that right away. What is the challenge when you've been primarily working big 10 games and granted you were assigned where there were two big 10 teams, Maryland and Iowa, but you got six other teams that you're not really familiar with. And you've got four games that you've got to call with those six teams besides the two Big Ten teams. So the first thing is, what is the challenge like in preparation, getting ready for eight teams and four games like you and Brandon had to do? Well, you, you you hope that, you know, you get lucky like Brandon and I did to where you've got some teams that at least one that you're familiar with, and it really cuts down drastically the amount of research that you have to do, the amount of games that you have to watch. So that was, we were very fortunate to not only get, those, you know, Maryland and Iowa at that pod, but to also get Houston and Alabama, two number one seeds, because they get a lot of of publicity television wise. It's easy to pick up their coverage. And so I've been watching those teams all year. So um, we were very fortunate in the draw that we got with the teams that were in Birmingham. Yeah, there's no doubt that the preparation is uh, is different. It's intense. You're learning different names, different numbers and on the roster. Uh, etc. Uh, so it's interesting because you also worked the Big Ten tournament just previously, but you worked it on TV. Illuminate for the audience, what is the difference in now I'm going into the radio mode where instead of being the primary talker and the analyst and showing people things, I'm trying to interject and get in on Brandon's play-by-play calls here and there. How does that dynamic work? How does that challenge work when it's different than what you were doing at the Big Ten tournament that you've done for so long? That's a great question. And I was very fortunate, TJ, that I I cut my teeth in radio. So my first professional job was calling men's basketball from the University of Illinois, my alma mater. And I learned the timing. And so my thing, and I would share this with anybody that's trying to get in the radio to call games, the play-by-play announcer on the radio, they have to paint the picture. So they need to talk 75% of the time. That's just a rule of thumb. Television is different. The analyst can talk maybe 55 to 45, 60, 40. You know, the analyst gets a chance to really expound on on different things because it's it's a visual medium. You can see what's going on. The the play-by-play commentator doesn't have to paint the picture like they do on radio. And so what I try to do, if there's a made basket, by the time the made, the basket is made, my play-by-play uh, commentator stops talking, I pick up and try to get in and out by the time the ball is advanced past half court and before the first pass is made. So that can be tricky because some teams like to really get up the floor like Alabama. So when there's a made, made shot and they advance the ball really quickly, I lay out. I don't say anything, and I let my play-by-play person uh, partner come in and pick up the call again because you they've got to be able to nail 
what's happening, the picture, paint the picture, and I just come in with a little bit of color. So from the Big Ten Conference Tournament, I'm doing a lot more expounding, a lot lot more talking, a lot more why this is happening. And then when radio comes, I have to cut back quite a bit and just give really strong nuggets of what I see, what I saw, what I anticipate coming. Great explanation on that. And you did a tremendous job. Again, I was in the car a bunch trying to get uh, to the games in Orlando and come back. I caught you guys on Maryland and West Virginia before the four games as I got there towards the end of the first game in Orlando. And then I caught you for the nightcap of Houston and Northern Kentucky on the drive home. You kept me company and gave me great insight. You gave me great insight because I joined you in the second half on why Northern Kentucky was hanging around, et cetera. Again, I'm throwing the bouquets out uh, for Stephen Bardo, but you guys deserve <laughs> it. You and Brandon deserve it. Um, and then I was with you again for the Houston-Auburn game after Ooh. I had been in the arena for Duke being upset by Tennessee, if you can call that an upset, a four beating a five. I'm back on with you guys driving back. I was I was going, in fairness, I was going back and forth with your buddies, Jason Benetti and Robbie Hummel, because they were doing the Arkansas-Kansas game. But I was equally, equally with you guys as your game wore on, Houston and Auburn. So Westwood One's coverage and through TuneIn and the Westwood One app and the Varsity app, you, uh, you can hear all that coverage through Westwood One. You guys uh, did a great job. Uh, with that for sure. Now, the, one of the things that I joke, you you were very serious about this at, right after your pro playing career and going into broadcasting. And I remember a young Stephen Bardo with a young TJ Reeves doing the University of South Florida radio. I'm going to make you smile. I'm doing the radio. You're doing the Conference USA TV package in and around that yep. time. You would cozy up to me for a little intel on uh, Seth Greenberg, we see him all the time now on ESPN on game day. Seth Greenberg's USF team, she's like, tell me who's playing well, tell me who's doing whatever else. We were helping each other out, and that's longer ago than you and I want to admit. I, 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 I don't think we want to admit how long ago that was. We're not that old yet. That was longer ago. But you took this seriously 20, 25 years ago, and here you still are. Just tell me about your mindset and how and how it has served you in lasting this long, Stephen. Well, TJ, I appreciate you uh, sharing your uh, thoughts and bringing the history lesson to our, our listeners. And um, I thought I wanted to be an electrical engineer in high school. And I took chemistry and I didn't. I was like, I can't do this. Me and chemistry didn't get along. So my dad, I'm asking him like, well, dad, I, I don't think I can go into electrical engineering. He said, well, you love sports. and You like to run your mouth. And he walked out of the room. <laughs> and so I just, I was like, what is he talking about? Like, I, I was like, man, he's really, is he getting at me? And that's like, oh, he's talking about broadcasting. So we, we would listen to Billy Packer, Irv Cross, uh, all these old school guys, uh, uh, um, Cosell. Mm -hmm. um, and so I watched sports all my life and little did I know I was listening to all those broadcasters, all those color analysts, play by play people. And I was picking up a lot of different things. And so when I went to college, I majored in broadcast journalism. And then I was fortunate enough to play 10 years of pro ball. In the summers, I would do internships with CL CLTV, Chicago Land TV here. And then I had a mentor that got me to CBS Sports Chicago, where later I became a sports reporter. But I, I digress. I really wanted to get into this business after an interview in college with Dick Vitale. It was a radio interview. The radio phone stayed open. Me and Lou Henson and Dick Vitale are on the line. And Dick says, Stephen, you did a good job. You know, what do you want to do when you finish playing basketball? And I said, Dick, I want your job. 
<laughs> Lou Henson and Dick Vitale were laughing. I wasn't laughing. I was dead serious. And so my dad told me to write a letter to ESPN, thanking them for bringing me on the radio show and that I'm a broadcast journalism major and would love to look at opportunities once my career was over. I sent the letter off, TJ. Didn't think anything of it. A month later, I get a letter on the outside. It says the president of ABC Sports. I didn't know ESPN was owned by ABC at the time. That president was Dennis Swanson. He used wow. to be a basketball manager wow. with the Univers University of Illinois way back in the day. And he's like a legend in, in sports media. And we we took a liking to each other. We developed a relationship. He opened doors for me that I could never have opened on my own. And I was very fortunate to have the intention early to be a serious color analyst and to go through the, the necessary process. And while doing that, also make the right connections that have benefited me to this day. Love the insight of Stephen Bardo with me for a few more minutes. He's on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Again, Stephen just worked the Westwood One opening two rounds of the NCAA tournament with Brandon Gauden. You also see him all the time on the Big Ten Network as we release the podcast. You'll see him on Thursday and on Saturday in and around Michigan State's involvement. Uh, remaining one Big Ten team remaining. Sorry, Stephen, one Big Ten team remaining in the NCAA tournament, and that is Sparty uh, for this weekend. So Stephen will be on the Big Ten Network. You see him there. You see him on Fox Sports' coverage as well of the Big Ten. Uh, I love his insight. All right, so take me back to last Saturday because you're in Birmingham. This is partially by design. The NCAA put Alabama there because they're a number one seed. They're the number one overall seed. But Auburn is also there by virtue of their win over Iowa, and Auburn is playing Houston. So we had Alabama and Auburn both in that building. What was the building like? How cool was it? You're around a lot of big-time atmospheres. I get that. But not all not all of them are equal. What was it like in the Birmingham building for the Tide and for Auburn to be involved in those two games? And let's not forget, Houston put it on Auburn in the second half. But what was the atmosphere like? Take us inside that real quick, if you would. Well, it was, it was really interesting, TJ, because as you know, covering a bunch of NCAA tournament sites, the first and second round generally um, are not going to be filled to capacity. The, the Legacy Arena was filled both days to capacity. And it was fascinating because you saw this wave of orange and blue. You saw these Auburn fans. And then you'd see this Crimson Tide, the, the <laughs> Alabama fans. And they would not cheer against one another. That was, a, that was an interesting thing. I thought one of the keys for Maryland against Alabama was to get into the second half of that game and have a lead because then you would expect the, the remaining Auburn fans to cheer for Maryland. It didn't happen. You didn't, you didn't see whoever Alabama was going against. The remaining Auburn fans did not cheer against Alabama. And we kept hearing this hatred. No love loss between those two schools. And so... It was fascinating that we didn't pick up on any of that. But the building was full both days. It was wonderful because it's rare when you have that type of energy in a first and second round matchup. But it was fascinating. I, I, I could not believe the electricity that was in the air when Auburn was up 10 on Houston at halftime. The place was going berserk because they, they thought, okay, we, we just saw Arkansas beat Kansas. That's the second number one goes down. Maybe we got another third. We got a third possibly go down. Houston Cougars cut the cut their water off, man. <laughs> it was a fantastic second half display, but it was a great, great atmosphere the whole weekend in Birmingham. 
again, this man has great insight. He played in the Final Four for Illinois uh, in the 1989 Final Four, 10-year NBA career. Find him at Bardo's Breakdown, by the way, on social media as well, on Facebook. I love that. I love his insight. And again, he takes this uh, very seriously uh, with, with uh, broadcasting all the different games, uh, doing all the charts, all the insight. Uh, I've often said this. I'd love your feeling on this. It is the next best thing to playing, is it not, to be around this and to be courtside or rinkside in hockey or in the press box NFL uh, or Major League Baseball or, or uh, you know, any, any form of baseball to be broadcasting it. I mean, the next best thing probably to playing is you get to soak in the atmosphere like you're talking about and you feel like you're part of the game broadcasting the game. That's me saying that. What do you say? I totally agree because the coaching side of it is a tremendous grind and it's very difficult to sit back and enjoy certain moments because the, the, the nature of coaching is just on to the next, on to the next. Whereas as you're talking about broadcasters, we take in the scene. I'm still able to talk to all the coaches and players and the, I'm, I'm calling guys that I played against. I'm calling their sons. So I get to meet their, you know, their other siblings um, I get to hang out with Fran McCaffrey and Margaret, his wife, and his two children outside of the basketball players, the, the youngest children, his daughter and his son. And his name escapes me, but first time I got a chance to spend time with them and talk to them, it's great. Uh, I'm with you know Grant Hill, Bill Raftery. We're on the television side, and we were doing a lot of the same things, so I got a chance to reconnect. I played with Grant Hill for – a few coffee breaks uh, with the Dallas uh, Detroit Pistons back in the day. So we were changing, you know, exchanging stories. And so I think you're exactly right when you're a former player and you can be a broadcaster as opposed to a coach because the coach again is just, that's a very, that's a tough business. That's a grind. That's you're when you win, you're relieved when you lose, you're devastated. And as a broadcaster, you can come into the game, even when the university of Illinois is playing, I have the ability to separate my emotion from how I want the team to do to being able to have integrity of the broadcast and bring the viewers the best possible viewing experience. And I can tell you, you mentioned his name. I love Dickie V. He lives here in the area where I am in the Tampa Bay area down south in Sarasota. And he is one of the first ones to bring that up. I'll even do a quick Dickie V impersonation. I never knew and understood how great it was to be a broadcaster. You never lose, baby. You never get the Ziggy. You never get <laughs> fired. Right. And his and his wife would talk about that. Lorraine would talk about what a night and day thing that Dick would go do these games. And he's never in a bad mood. He's never upset. He doesn't have uh, anger, stress, whatever. He's doing the game. So you're exactly right. Uh, it, it is it, it is a a fun way to stay part and stay close to it. All right, I would not be doing my job if I if I didn't get this out of you before you're gone. Michigan State still alive with Tom Izzo. They're in the matchup with Kansas State. They're in the games at Madison Square Garden with the upstart Florida Atlantic team. Not my Memphis Tigers. Do not ridicule me. Uh, taking on Tennessee in the other part of the bracket. What kind of shot does Izzo have to be back in the Final Four? You've watched them throughout the Big Ten season. They've won a couple of games in the tournament. How good a shot do you give them? I think they have as good a shot as anyone right now. Um, when you think about, I think Duke was a favorite in that in that region because they were playing so well. They were 16-1 and one when all their players were healthy. Unfortunately, when they went against Tennessee, I can't remember the wing player's name. He was not able to play. That affected their ability to, to match the physicality of Tennessee. 
Um, I'm not a Rick Barnes fan. I like him as a person. I don't think much of him as a coach. And so I would not be surprised to see FAU uh, beat Tennessee in that Sweet 16 matchup. Kansas State is a different animal, though. And uh, Tyson Walker is, is a really crafty offensive player. But Noel, the point guard from Kansas State, he's a, he's a handful. And so uh, Keontae uh, Johnson, I believe is his name. Yes, yes. Is a stud. And I'm not sure that Michigan State has anyone to necessarily match up with him per se. But I think the size up front for Michigan State can really bother Kansas State. So – to me, the hardest game for Michigan State is going to be the Sweet 16 game because if they can get past Kansas State, I like the chance against Tennessee or Florida Atlantic. So this is a fantastic opportunity for Tom Izzo and Michigan State to get to the Final Four. It's incredible because every two or three years, he's there. The last time was 2019 when they got there um, with the breakdown. And again, I saw the Tennessee team at courtside. They shot it as well as they've shot it in a couple of months, beating Duke, right. including making three-pointers. Can they replicate that in New York against Florida Atlantic and in an Elite Eight game if it comes down to it? We'll find out there. And then just one more real quick. You saw Alabama. You saw Houston. They're, the one in front of their name indicates they're supposed to be a Final Four team. Uh, Houston, what a story it would be if they are there uh, in Houston at the Final Four, but you saw both of those teams. You are confirming Final Four worthy. Don't know if they're going to get there, but they look legit from what you saw courtside. I'd be shocked if if both of them aren't in Houston. Alabama's the best team in the country. Uh, they have an embarrassment of riches in terms of Brandon Miller, to me, is probably the best player in the country. Out Zach Eady is the best statistical statistically. Mm -hmm. But as a player, I think Brandon Mills is the best player in the country. And when you have a team, TJ, in the first round of an NCAA tournament game where your best player does not score <laughs> and your team scores 96 points, 15 threes made, that's an incredible effort that I don't know that a lot of people around the country were talking about because they expected Alabama to win that game. But the nature of which they went about it, Nick Pringle comes off the bench. He didn't play the last month and had a double-double. They've got – they can go 11 deep. They've got five pros on that team. Uh, Javon Quinterly is probably one of the best point guards in the country. So Alabama, I would be surprised if they didn't win a national championship. Houston, um, with foul trouble and injury concerns with their starting backcourt, Tremont Mark had a had a um, career-high 27 against Auburn in a in a – kind of a very, very difficult situation and, and hostile environment. Houston cut their water off. Jairus Howard, uh, Jawan Roberts, Houston is for real. And I would be surprised if both of those teams, Alabama and Houston, don't find themselves in Houston in the Final Four. Might have a Houston against Texas in a regional final to go to Houston in the Final Four. Get your cowboy hat, your spurs, your big belt buckle, and be ready for that one if that's the case for this weekend. I love this man's insight. Again, catch him later this week on the Big Ten Network, Stephen Bardo with the coverage of the Big Ten Network. I loved it. Again, getting to hear you uh, with Brandon Gordon and all the guys on the Westwood One coverage of all the different uh, sites. You guys were in Birmingham with you and Brandon uh, for those, uh, those games at that uh, site and that pod. Great stuff. Thank you for letting me bother you. Happy March Madness. 
and, and I always love getting the chance to catch up with you. If I can ever help you, I will do that. Thank you for sharing with me because there are a lot of people fascinated in the sports media part of this. And you've been doing this now for some 20 plus years. So you're ingrained right in it. Thank you, Stephen Bardo. This was a treat. TJ, I appreciate it, man. Anytime. Let me know. Very busy, jam-packed show with our guests here. I'm not going to get into some love it or leave it, although I will say with the ratings, uh, the NCAA tournament doing very well. Uh, again, as I made mention, very uh, beginning of the podcast, uh, the Duke-Tennessee game getting over 10 million viewers on Saturday. The Michigan State win over Marquette had right at 11 million viewers on Sunday in the early evening before 60 minutes. Kentucky also around 10 million viewers. Even the primetime uh, assortment of games on multiple networks getting over 8 million viewers. The tournament ratings will grow on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and primetime. Friday, maybe not as much, but in terms of loving it, everybody loves March Madness. No, all not the brand names are there, but I mean, the likes of Michigan State, uh, UCLA, Gonzaga, UConn, they'll be playing on Thursday. And then you've got the two top seeds, Alabama and Houston, in action on Friday. Uh, along with some other parts of the country being covered. I, I still I don't understand, if we were doing a love it or leave it, why San Diego State and Alabama are the first game being played in Louisville on Friday night when that game's being played at 3.30 Pacific time for the San Diego market and even the LA TV market. Uh, it, it's puzzling to me why they didn't play that game second. Let Creighton and Princeton go first. The Northeast is still going to find that game at around 7 Eastern time, 6.45, 7 Eastern time. You would then give San Diego State and Bama the 9 Eastern time, 8 Central for the Alabama audience, but more importantly, 6 Pacific time. You got a much better chance of audience watching. They didn't ask me. I'm not a multi-million dollar TV executive, but who's watching at 3.30 in the afternoon on a Friday in San Diego or in Los Angeles where you're trying to land some TV audience as opposed to at least 6 Eastern time? And by the way, by the second half of the game, it's going to be 7, 7.30 Pacific time. If you put the game later, you at least have some shot at some TV audience in the second half. We'll see what happens in the game on the court, but from a TV rating standpoint, it's probably not going to do as well. We'll see what Creighton and Princeton does. Again, Houston, Miami, Texas, Xavier. At the same time, Houston, Miami, Xavier, and Texas also on Friday night's uh, coverage. Thursday night, we'll have uh, Florida Atlantic and Tennessee, Kansas State and Michigan. Uh, in one bracket, the West bracket will have Arkansas and UConn up first. And again, I think that UCLA-Gonzaga game should have the highest ratings. Even though it's on cable, it, it's the best matchup. It's the Western matchup. The whole West will be interested in watching. Los Angeles TV market, but also San Francisco, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, uh, Phoenix, Denver, all of those Western markets. That's a primetime game for them. Gonzaga and UCLA, they'll have much more TV audience in the West for that one coming on Thursday night. couple more quick items. We obviously saw the finish of the World Baseball Classic. Dramatic, exciting with Japan defeating the United States dramatically. How about uh, Shohei Otani striking out Mike Trout to end the clinching game, the gold medal game, if you will, of the World Baseball Classic in a 3-2 win uh, in uh, in Miami. It was thrilling stuff. Uh, the, the Japanese beating Mexico, the United States moving on to the title game. So the World Cla Baseball Classic uh, had a lot of interest. Again, the semifinal games that were played on Monday night, semifinals getting around a million eight, 
uh, in TV audience. The, the championship game Tuesday night, I don't have the ratings in front of me as we release the podcast. That won't be out until later on Wednesday, but probably got more than that. Probably got like two and a half million on cable. So the World Baseball Classic definitely created some interest, some drama, some excitement. So that's a good thing as, as we end up here. Uh, with respect to this. Another interesting thing, because I'm big on the golf, they will play the World Golf Championship match play one final time because they're doing away with this match play event. It's been going on for some 20 years uh, as a PGA Tour kind of extra early season event. Instead of stroke play, they're playing head-to-head match play. It's in Austin, Texas. Most of the best players in the world are there. Tiger Woods is not playing in the event, but most everybody else from Rory McIlroy, save for the live golfers like Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson and uh, Brooks Kepka, uh, Bryson DeChambeau, they're obviously not involved in this because they've been booted away from the PGA Tour and suspended. But from the PGA Tour standpoint, a Rory, a, a uh, Jordan Spieth, a John Rahm, they're there at this match play event, and the match play is going bye-bye, going the way of the dinosaur on this. So uh, we'll we'll enjoy it one more time with the drama of Saturday and Sunday, but it's in and around the March Madness. It's in and around the NBA regular season winding down. Baseball's regular season around the corner. We've got all these sports that are going on. And, uh, and we have the NFL draft that's looming that's always very prominent and popular as well. All right, so that's going to do it for this edition of the Last Word on Sports Media podcast. Again, thanks to Carmen Vitale of Fox Sports, Carmi V on Twitter. Uh, FoxSports.com, what will happen with Aaron Rodgers, uh, what will happen with the upcoming uh, free agency uh, finish-up, and then the NFL draft. Again, Carmi V all over it. Carmen Vitale all over it at FoxSports.com. Also, thanks to Stephen Bardo of the Big Ten Network, Fox Sports, and the Westwood One coverage of the NCAA tournament. I love Bardo's insight, not just on the games themselves, but giving you the differences between working on the radio and the TV. I hope you were fascinated by that. And he's a guy that has paid his dues and risen up the broadcast ranks. I love that phrase, they turn the water off. They turn the faucet off with guarding people on defense like what Houston can do. San Diego State can do that as well. They will guard you. They will get up in your face. Michigan State the same way in that matchup with Kansas State. Who can play some defense in the Sweet 16 that's upcoming? So thanks to Stephen Bardo. Follow him at Stephen Bardo on social media. Bardo's Breakdown on social media as well on YouTube, on Facebook, and you see him, obviously, on the Big Ten's coverage later on this weekend. All right. Uh, again, many thanks to all of you finding us on the Last Word on Sports Media podcast, lastwordonsports.com slash podcast. There are partners here for the podcast and the feed. George Offman's latest episode, again, is with the Chicago Wolves owner in the American Hockey League, Don Levin. Very interesting interview about that entrepreneur, his ultra-successful minor league hockey team in Chicago. They have won the league championship repeatedly with him as the owner. Hear that interview again. George will also have Jason Benetti of Fox Sports and the Chicago White Sox broadcast coming as his next guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Phil DeMont Mullen and Mike Gill are coming up later in the week on this podcast feed with the Announcer Schedules podcast as well. More on the NCAA tournament, the World Baseball Classic, and much more with Mike and Phil back at it for later in the week. For now, I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for finding me. Follow or subscribe to The Last Word on Sports Media Podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. You get it automatically if you're following and subscribing. Great to be with you here talking sports media on this show every week. Enjoy the rest of the week. The Madness of the Bay. We'll have a Final Four this time last week, and I'll be headed to the Final Four in Houston. We'll be talking all about that next time around on The Last Word on Sports Media Podcast. Mother's Day is almost here. 
and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.